0: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's Game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall, Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the brake, Ali Hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals Game 5 and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball, it's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.
1: To the podcast. I am Joe Poznanski. A little bit later on in the program, we are going to have uh, a conversation with Peter King about the NFL playoffs, which was going to be uh, uh, sort of the lead of this this podcast. But we are recording this on Friday, and uh, we learned just about uh, three or four hours ago, I guess. Uh, that uh, we lost uh, the great Henry Aaron at age 86, uh, one of the uh, one of the icons of the sport, and uh, and in order to try to bring some perspective to uh, such an extraordinary life, uh, we're very lucky. Uh, I'm very lucky to have my dear friend, uh, President of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, Bob Kendrick, with me. Bob, uh, first of all, welcome.
2: No oh, thanks, man. Thank you. I wish it was under better circumstances.
1: Yeah, well, it was going to be. You know, Bob exactly. was exactly. right. Bob was going to be on here anyway. We were going to talk a little bit about some of the great things they're doing over at the museum, which we will try to get to. But uh, obviously, we're going to spend time talking uh, about uh, about uh, Henry Aaron, and there's a million different ways to go. Of course, Henry Aaron. Uh, you know, in, in addition to all of his extraordinary achievements, was Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, one of only two living players who played in both the Negro Leagues and the Major Leagues. I, am I wrong about that, or is there is there anybody else that's
2: still living along with uh, we, Willie Mays and Henry Aaron? Well, we still have a couple. We still have George Altman. Oh, George Altman, that's George, right. Uh, uh, and uh, Reverend Greason, who got a cup of coffee with the Cardinals at one point in time. He's 90, I believe, 98, Joe. Wow. I'm yeah, thinking. but not many not not very many man you know it was a it's a group that we're losing anyway but when you start making those parallels like you just did even lesser yeah yeah, yeah.
1: well it's, you know I mean I, I think about this all the time when you and I became friends and first started working together there were still i mean we'd lost a lot of negro leaders even by then but oh, since yeah. then oh yeah uh just just you know there's almost nobody left certainly from the from the pre Jackie Robinson days and, and, and so few left, even from those early fifties, when, when the Negro leagues was still uh, a force and, and was still delivering a lot of players yeah. to the major leagues and
2: the superstar, and the superstars, superstar players from the Negro. Leagues. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're actually all gone. It doesn't diminish those who are still with us for the fact that they played, but you know, the loss that we've experienced through the years with the likes of, you know, Buck O'Neill and Ernie Banks and Manny mm-hmm. Minoso and Monty Irvin, Don Newcomb. Yeah. These kinds of players, man, uh, these players were great. And it just what it does is it brings the reality around what has been our reality for the last 30 years that we've been doing this. That's right. That It wasn't a matter of if, it was simply a matter of when all of these players were going to be gone. And it just makes this museum, I think, that much more important.
1: Yeah, I think every day the, the museum becomes more important. Now, Henry Aaron was, in addition to everything else, he was your hero uh, growing up. Uh, he was my hero in the way that... Uh, he was the hero for everybody of our age, but he was, you grew up in Georgia and, and, uh, and there was nobody We through the years. You and I have gotten to meet just about everybody in baseball. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen you nervous (laughs) as you were before, uh, when, when you got to meet Henry Aaron for the very first time.
2: And not even just for the first time; it just continued. <laughs> it continued every time we met, man. Every time I was around him, I was almost that twelve-year-old kid that's circling the bases in his mother's living room. When Henry broke Ruth's record, hit a record home run, seven fifteen, and he's the only player uh, or the only person that we've ever played host to here at the museum that I've ever been starstruck around. Yeah, and, and I was still starstruck around him to this very day. You know, he just had a presence and a persona. And for me, growing up in Crawfordville, Georgia, he was my all-time favorite baseball player. Anytime that we were on the playground, Joe, all the other kids knew, okay, <laughs> Bob got to be, Bob always got to be him Henry Aaron. Why can't somebody else be, no, Bob's Henry Nobody else can be him here. And so that, that was already well-established and, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how fate is, and it moves me into a world where I get to learn. Because as a kid, I didn't know Henry Aaron had played in the Negro Leagues. Honestly, Joe, I didn't really recognize that until I got involved with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Sure. And, and it was one of those awakenings for me, and it blew me away. Yeah. He was someone that I had admired and idolized, and didn't even know. And, and it made me want to dig a little deeper and learn a little bit more. And, and then when the Royals would welcome him to Kansas City 1999, I know you remember I remember this, it well. Because you were part of this. Uh, they would welcome him. He celebrated the 25th anniversary of Breaking Roots record. And sad to say it took him 25 years before he could actually exit yeah. and, and really celebrate what many thought was the most prestigious sports record of all oh, absolutely. time. I absolutely. Mean, yeah, it was just that painful for him. And, and and so we we have it set up for him to tour the museum. And, and Buck is out of town. Yeah, So I draw the assignment of touring <laughs> my childhood idol through the baseball museum. Man, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm at home. I'm laying out everything. Everything's got to be just perfect. And, and my wife looks at me like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, look, you don't understand. This is Henry Aaron. We get here, they mic me up, and I start to take Mr. Aaron, his wife, Billy. There's a throng of media following us every step of the way. And we get to the photograph of him standing at the train station in Mobile. That famous photograph where he's about to leave home, likely for the first time, to go join the Indianapolis Clowns. And Don Motley was with us, of course, and we stopped there at that photograph and we're teasing him. We said, Mr. Aaron, because at that time, before he was hammering Hank, his nickname yep. was pork chops. And, and we were teasing him. We said, Mr. Aaron, why did they call you pork chops? He said, I guess that was the only thing I knew how to order off the menu. So he found <laughs> something and he stuck with it because he always ate pork chops while he traveled with the, with the Indianapolis clowns. And so we finally get through the tour. We get him over across the street. Where you and Jason are going to do this fireside chat yep. with Henry Aaron, and, and the gym theater is filled to oh, the oh, filled. filled, I mean, the the energy in that room was just electric, and you guys have this amazing conversation with him where he shared, you know, the stories of what it was like in his pursuit of Ruth's record. But after you all finished, we go up to the mezzanine level of the gym theater. Uh-huh. I get to enjoy Gates barbecue ribs, my childhood <laughs> idol. And every time he and his wife saw me, they would always say, "Wait a minute, you didn't bring any of those ribs with you." <laughs> so it doesn't get any better.
1: No, it gets no
2: better. This kid from Crawfordville, Georgia.
1: No, it, just incredible, just incredible. We're going to talk in a minute about the chasing of Ruth's record because, really until the end of his life. I mean, he never really got over the pain that he had to endure, you know? I mean, he, he he certainly got over it in a way that the early years, he couldn't even get past it. He didn't want to even celebrate it. So he eventually did yeah. get to a point where he could celebrate it. Yeah. But, but uh, I mean, what he had to
2: endure. That. You can't forget that. You can't forget it. How no, can you? Forget it. Now, I think he had that same innateness joke that we got to know with Buck. Sure. That we saw with Ernie. We saw with Monty. That allowed them to forgive. Yeah. Well, you know,
1: he forgave, I think. You can't forget that. No.
2: And, no. and I think you're constantly reminded of it. And for me, it's, it became even more poignant when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosta were going through the epic home run chase. Right. And their children were there at home plate to greet them. Yes, And then I'm reflecting that Henry Aaron's family is in hiding. Yeah, yeah. Literally in hiding as he was making this pursuit of Ruth's record, getting all of these death threats. And and I was doing a a conversation earlier this morning with Harold Reynolds. And you have to remember, for Henry Aaron, a black man in the South at that time, these death threats are very real. Oh, absolutely. They're very real because he had already seen Martin Luther King Jr., assassinated. He had seen John F. Kennedy, assassinated. Yes. Malcolm X, assassinated. So this is very real for him. Yes. And yet, somehow or another, he found a wherewithal to still lock in on the task at hand, which, again, I don't think we as mere mortals can even remotely relate to what he was enduring at that time. And Joe, what makes it even more, for me, significant, this is 27 years after Jackie has broken right. the color barrier. That's right. 27 years, man. Yeah. And he's essentially experiencing the same level of hate and vitriol that welcomed Jackie into the major league. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, I think...
1: I. I thought it was really important I just wrote a piece for the athletic that will be coming out uh, it'll be out by the time this is out I would imagine saying that that here we are and and you and I are about to celebrate the ball player that was Henry Aaron because uh, there's never been one like him and and you know we can start looking at some numbers and some things I mean it's extraordinary but I think it's important and I think he would want us to remember, the America that he saw oh, when absolutely. he was chasing that down. When he was absolutely. chasing the record. It yeah. was it was the the hate, the death threats, his children needing bodyguards to be just to go to school, the the way he was stuck in his hotel room night after night after night because he couldn't hmm? go anywhere. He literally <laughs> could not go anywhere uh when all he was doing was playing baseball at you know it's 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 staggering it's staggering and and i mean i think we do him a disservice if we don't learn the lessons continue to learn the lessons which is obviously what the negro leagues baseball museum is all about right but continue to learn those lessons and and, and not just believe that we have um not just believe that we have overcome and we have we have left all that behind because because it's a it's a It's a ladder and, and we're, we're not we're, we're not at the top of that ladder.
2: No, we're not and it goes back to something that you and I talked to talked about when baseball made the decision to recognize the Negro Leagues as a major league. Yes well, and that is great. and it should have happened a long time ago. But I think it makes the museum even more important because what we don't want to see happen is 20, 30 years from now, a kid look at those numbers. Negro players listed amongst all of those who were part of a former white only major league and think it's been that way all the time. I want them to think that. You know, it's important that they understand what this country was like and how others sacrificed in an effort to continue to try and help her grow as a nation. And we're still doing it. We're still in the midst of it. Here we are in 2021. You know, and and so the the fight is ongoing and and history becomes even more relevant because we should continue to learn from history, both good and bad. That's right. That's 100%
1: right. And, And I think that, you know, when I asked him, you know, because one of the things that always I found extraordinary about Henry Aaron was he would get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters that were death threats that were, uh, that would call him every name in the book that would, that would just say, I mean, just inhuman. And he insisted on reading every single one of them. And I asked him why, why, you know, because, you know, I don't even read the comments below my stories, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and they're mostly nice, you know, so, so. I'm, I'm going to get like these death threats. And I asked him why. And he said, I had to know what I was up against. Is what he said, I had to know what I was up against. And and I said, did those letters make you stronger? Did they drive you forward? And he said, no, they just made me sad. And And I think it's important. He overcame all of this. He didn't use it as fire. He overcame it through his own faith, through his own strength of character. But it wasn't like those things drove him to to break the record. He broke the record in spite of those things.
2: In spite of. Exactly. Exactly. And and, and I think those are the human qualities that made Henry Aaron so special. And and I got to see him. You know, it's rare, Joe, that you get to, to meet your idol. Right. You know, because most of the time we idolize them from afar. And those moments that I had in his presence will be things that I will hold on to in my mind and in my heart forever. But it also helped me realize the human qualities of this man that I idolized from a You know, and it made him that much more special for me. No question. You know, in those times that we did spend together.
1: Well, no question. I mean, you... The way he carried himself, I mean, he was... He was, he was American royalty, right? I mean, there was just this regal grace and clay was quiet, but yet, you know, he commanded a room the way you were around him. You could see the strength that, that, that he had and, and, and the strength that he used in order to get through this, you know, what should have been, what was for most of America, this. I always thought it was. He said it on the stage that night in '99. He said it when I interviewed him for for our Hall of Fame movie. He said it many times. But while you know, I would still say the majority, even maybe the vast majority of America, celebrated the night that he broke mm-hmm. the record. He didn't. He was just happy it was
2: over. Just happy it yeah. was over. It's over. And I saw a film clip today where Dusty Baker says he had come to him and said. All right, I'm tired of this. I'm going to get this over with the night. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. just had to. You know,
2: yeah, yeah. Because it was wearing on him, you know, and because, you know, he's human. And, and so even though he was able to rise above all of this, it was wearing on him. Yes. And, and for him to go to Dusty and say, all right, enough of this. Yeah. Get this over with tonight." Well,
1: That's right. And he said, I, you know, I've asked him many times, did he feel joy running around those bases? Remember those kids ran on the field and yeah. somehow he knew those kids were harmless, which I would not have known. I don't know how, I, not, I have yeah. no idea how he knew that, yeah. but he ran you around those bases. And I said, did you feel anything like joy, anything like, and he said, no, I felt nothing but relief, really? nothing but the sense thank God this is over. That was, you know, and that's not how it was. That, was that what Mark McGuire felt when he broke the record? No, no you and know.
2: That's, and that's what I was saying, man. You know, for their kids to be that home plate and greet them and yes. celebrate with that's them. That's how it should be. That's the way it should have been. Yes. In many ways was denied that. It was
1: denied him. It was completely denied him.
2: All right, so let's talk about Henry Aaron, the ball player. I have written
1: that I don't think, like when people call him the home run king. And the reason I don't like it is because not because he isn't, but because it diminishes what he was. He wasn't home runs were a tiny part of his, of his greatness. And, you know, even as a hitter, I've always loved, there are a few stats about his that I always loved, which we'll talk about. One of them is that if you took away all 755 home runs he still had 3,000 hits. Uh, I mean, that's, that is, it's absurd. It's what it is. It's absurd. You know, there, it's, it's just, it's just amazing. And, you know, I, I always thought that in some ways the home run king thing, it, it, it like gave him a label, right? Yeah. So Willie Mays was, you know, the, 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 over the shoulder catch and, and all of these, you know, the hat flying off and all of these things. And Mickey Mantle was the Titanic home runs and the switch hitter. And all of these guys had their thing. And Henry Aaron's was that he was the home run King, but he was, he was a great, great, great hitter who happened to hit 755 home runs.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The home runs just kind of, just kind of happened. They happened. They happened. happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I,
1: I we said he just hit so many hard balls, 755 of them left. That's it. That's right.
2: But you're right. You take him away over 3000 3, hits still. So the RBI record, I don't think will ever be broken. I'm not I sure if anybody so. will play long enough in this modern game to break that record.
1: Well, I'll tell you what record will never be broken. His total bases right. record will exactly. never ever ever be broken. It's 700 yeah. more than anybody in the history of baseball. I went I did a list in my when I wrote about him for the Baseball 100, a list. And I can't remember all the numbers, but I remember it was like Babe Ruth would have needed to hit 200 more home runs and and uh Barry Bonds would have had to hit like, you know, 500 more doubles. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that Nobody's even close no, to him
2: on, dump, no. on, on and, total so basis. I think that's the thing. You're right. When you get labeled as such, you know, the home run king or whatever it might be, it it does in some ways diminish how great an all-around ball yes. player was. Henry Aaron was a great hitter. Great hitter. Henry Aaron was a great outfielder. Yes. He of himself in being a student of the game, being in the right position, making the right throw to the right place. base taking the base when he needed to take the base, doing yep. all these things right to the point that sometimes he made it look so easy that people kind of say, well, he loafing, yep. you know? Yeah. Like, oh man, we should all be able to loaf like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like what, what
1: one person said about him. They said that he was, he was uh, Willie Mays whose hat fit. Right, no, 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 no. So like his, his, his his hat. Other than his hat not flying off, he was Willie Mays, and I think that's right. Look, I, Willie Mays, obviously, you know, we hope he stays healthy. You know, I mean, we. Were oh man, it, about that. it, it, and that's
2: the, the, almost one of the first thoughts that came to my mind. Yeah, because you know Willie Mays, I believe, is almost ninety.
1: Right, he's older than,
2: than Henry. Ayer. He's older than Henry. Yeah, you know, and and it, it just scares me. You know, and, and, and again, that's with the understanding that death is a part of life. We know of course it's inevitable. Of course. You know, but still, you know, it just it it, it just frightens me, man, because number one, I had no way to even remotely prepare for, for this Right. One. Right. I didn't know. So this was a complete shock for me. You know, when Lou Brock passed, I knew Lou was sick. Yes. Joe Morgan passed, I knew Joe was sick. Right. You know, and, and so you have time to somewhat reconcile. When yeah. Buck passed, yes. we, knew, you know, we knew what was inevitable. Right. It didn't make it any easier, you know. But you at least had time to reconcile your thoughts and your feelings, you know, as it related to. Uh, but with Henry today, I didn't see this coming.
1: No, no, I, I, i not heard. He seemed well. I mean, he, he, he even, you know, had been sort of in public a little bit recently. Well, you know, yeah, in the last few got months. Because he brought
2: out, he and Andrew Young to go take the vaccination, the corona right. vaccination, That's because right. I think they wanted to help. Particularly, black folks understand that this vaccine was safe. Yes. And, and that it wouldn't be something that we should be afraid of. And so they had gone out and done that. And he and I, when baseball made the announcement about recognizing the Negro Leagues, we did a Today's Show segment. Yes. Uh, and of course, they gave Henry more time than they gave me, but I would have given Henry more time than they
1: gave me. <laughs> I was going to say,
2: <laughs> in fact, I would have yielded
1: my time just for Henry, just giving back to him. <laughs> I'm and so of course Henry was as well. <laughs> and Henry was of course involved in the tip your cap campaign last yeah. year when we yeah. uh, when people were tipping their cap to the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. The 101st anniversary of the Negro Leagues is in 2021 is it's, it's happening now. And uh, you got some stuff, right? You got some things
2: coming up. We, we got some great things. Joe. I'm really excited about it. You know, I guess it kind of got a jump start here this week with the announcement of the minor league team. Yeah, explain that. As the Kansas City Monarchs, the American Association independent team, formerly known as Kansas City T-Bones, came to us with the idea of rebranding themselves when the new ownership bought the team to name them the Kansas City Monarchs. And initially I was a little hesitant because, as you know, that's our flagship brand. Uh, But the more I got to meet Mark Bradmeyer, who's the owner of the club, got a chance to see their business plan for what they have in store for the team and creating this entertainment venue out there in Western Wyandotte County where they play here in the area. I became even more impressed. And then the realization of the possibility of taking this brand and bringing it to life. Yeah. Creating relevancy. And and that's what museums should be doing. Finding every opportunity to connect the dots from a standpoint of relevancy. And and so, you know, you can't hurt the Monarchs. Man. No. They're a bad team. Now, I told them that if you're going to put the Monarch uniforms on, you need to win. Win some but games. Even, <laughs> even if they don't win, you're not going to diminish what the Kansas City Monarchs meant in the annals of Negro Leagues history. No, Of course not. But there are going to be kids who will see those, those players, those young ball players, wearing those uniforms, and they're going to question and wonder, who are the Kansas City Monarchs? Yeah. 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 Tell me about the Monarchs. Where did this name come from? Can I go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum to learn more about the Monarchs? And for those young players who have dreams of getting to the show, you know, those are the players that they'll be trying to bring on the team in their affiliation with this league and the new affiliation that they have with Major League Baseball. These are all players who still have aspirations of getting to the show. Sure. Now they're driven by the spirit of Satchel Paige. Yeah. Buck O'Neill and Willett Brown. Yeah, Bullet Rogan, Jose Mendez. You know, and if that can fuel those dreams, it's great. And then to create sustainable revenue for the Negro League Baseball Museum, I don't want to overlook that either. That doesn't hurt so- either. That doesn't hurt either. We're
1: we're 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 not too proud to to talk oh about uh, revenue there. No, it's look, I think it's great. I, I think it's really great on so many levels, but one level is simply Seeing baseball players out there in that uniform in that again, uniform. you know. I mean, look, we never got to see that. We never got no. to see it. So, I think that's going to be
2: wonderful. No, I'm excited about it, and uh, the over the overarching reaction has been of excitement. Yes, and, and so you know, so we're you know that was good, and you know we're getting ready for the announcement on February 13th about our plans for Negro League 101 and creating what is in essence. A 101 level introductory to the Negro Leagues national course, yeah, and it's going to be our effort to really try and introduce the Negro Leagues to as many people as we possibly can, even in a elementary fashion through digital events, you know, other aspects and outreaches, and it's going to uh, put a lot of pressure on Dr. Dieswell in my office. (laughs) And myself, <laughs> yes. well, we're excited about this, and you know, I, I think there are going to be any number of things that people are going to be really, I hope, excited about as we continue the celebration. And you know, the Barstool Sports Grant that we yes. just recently, which happened really by happenstance, uh, but significant, you know, to be able to be awarded the grant, which allows us to take care of some of our operational needs because we're still operating at 25% of our admissions capacity right so it naturally has its impact on virtually every facet of our business operations and so that grant was very generous and it allows us to operate you know at a at a maximum level you know without yeah. the other aspects of our business being in place
1: well, no, that's great. I mean, good on those guys over at Barstool uh, for putting together that fund and and stepping up for the Negro Leagues Museum. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, the 101, the Negro Leagues 101 course and all that's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun. And I love that it's sort of a continuation of the Major League Baseball announcement, right? It's like, okay, here, now suddenly for the first time, I think people are going to see some of these players and some of these numbers because they're going to be a part of of the Major League record book. And I think there's going to want to know. Well, what is this? What yeah. what is this? Who are these people? What is this all about? Yeah. And and I think, um, I think it's going to be great. I you know and,
2: and yeah. And, and I'll be curious to see. I, I joke all the time and said those oh, one hundred one courses were the only ones I passed. <laughs> I, those were the GPA boosters. When we got to the three and four hundred level, joke, I was in trouble, man. Well, we're all in trouble. <laughs> we're all in
1: trouble. <laughs> Yeah, no, we like him at 101 level. That's <laughs> that's that's to me is the best level of all things. So, so no, it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful, Bob. This is this has been great. Um, you know, sad that uh, you know that we that we lost Henry Aaron, but happy that we got to enjoy him for so long. You know,
2: okay. you you're absolutely right. I'm sad that we lost him but it fills me with great joy that we had it. Yes. Yeah. And and the same way I felt with Buck, you know, we were all, we we hurt when Buck passed, but man, thank goodness that we had a Buck O'Neill. Yeah. And that we had a Henry Aaron and an Ernie Banks and a Monty Irving, you know, and a Mini Minoso. Yes. And, And the list goes on and on so that we draw inspiration from all of them.
1: No question. Yeah. No question. Awesome, Bob. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talking in soon about some uh, Negro Leagues 101.
2: Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it, man. Thank you, Joe.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. Alley hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.
1: to have on my friend uh you know one of the great uh one of the great football writers uh I, ever I'm just going to say it ever uh my friend Peter King Peter welcome
3: Joe that's so nice of you thank you so much
1: Oh you're the best you're the best Peter thank I'm you. so thrilled to have you on here lots to talk about we don't have a lot of time so we're going to we're going to jump right in to some NFL stuff I'm very excited Uh first of all just let's we we got the AFC and NFC championships coming up this weekend um pretty exciting I I mean I I kind of dig the matchups what, what do you think about these uh these championship games we got coming up
3: it's amazing to think of the uh that the the JV game the first game while the varsity players sit in the stands for the first <laughs> half in the gym <laughs> it's amazing to think that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are playing in the JV game.
1: It's crazy. <laughs> it is yeah. so crazy. I mean, yeah. you you got this Chiefs Bills thing, and three years ago, four years ago, I mean, the Chiefs were good when when before Mahomes with Alex Smith, they were they were still a good team, not not a great team. The Bills were the Bills, and and we're not to think that three years later. I mean, these are two. They feel like. I mean, the Chiefs, of course. I mean, having won the Super Bowl already, but this Bills team feels like. They're really,
3: really good. They are really good. I mean, think of what they came from a year ago when they really shot themselves in the foot against Houston in the wild card game, and Josh Allen looked like the Wyoming quarterback, <laughs> not the <laughs> Buffalo Bills quarterback. Right. Um, and look at how far Josh Allen has come, and I think this is a story of, uh, you know, I mean, look, they made a great trade for now. Um for uh, for Stefan Diggs sure but I think this is so much a story Joe about the maturation and the and the vast improvement and rapid improvement of Josh Allen. It started last year at the Super Bowl when he had a conversation with Tony Romo and basically said, I want you to tell me what you see in me what am I doing wrong <laughs> what what, and, and Romo who is you know he's a his hobby, A lot of us have other hobbies. Mine is going to baseball games and having five beers sitting in the stands (laughs) and with my scorebook on my lap. Uh, Tony Romo's hobby, uh, well, I guess his hobby is golf, but his hobby, other hobby is quarterback mechanics. That might not be the most fun hobby for you and I, but for Tony (laughs) Romo, he digs it. On his cell phone, he can call up uh, little videos and little pictures of almost every quarterback in the league uh and 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 what he thinks of their mechanics. He's so interesting in that way. And he helped Josh Allen this offseason. And then uh Jordan Palmer, his his sort of his Butch Harmon, his swing coach. Um Jordan Palmer, Carson Palmer's brother, who had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Uh he worked with him throughout the offseason and then finally when he got to with Ken Dorsey, his quarterback coach, Brian Dable, his coordinator in Buffalo, um, obviously their uh, concentration on his mechanics and on the technical parts of his game, all of that has added up to to have been a, a fantastic addition to his game, improvement to his game. And that's why, in my opinion, in this game, they're, they've got a real chance to go into sure. Kansas City and to throw in the champs.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's funny you say that about Romo. Uh I a few weeks ago, we'll we'll talk about the Browns here in a second, but a few weeks ago they were do he was doing a Browns game and just went on and on about how Baker Mayfield's toe was pointing when he threw. Like make like talking I mean, such such intricate detail about simply his 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 front foot. And, and how his toe was pointing and how much of a difference that makes. I mean, he, he seems really, really into that, but you know, look, don't you think I I heard almost nothing but doubts about Josh Allen when he came out of Wyoming. I mean, everybody loved the, the physical tools, but nobody that I knew thought that the guy could play in the NFL. I mean, this is, this
3: is really quite striking, isn't it? I think it is. And and look, I think this is a story that really, really goes against the grain of, uh, of, you know, quarterback development, because if you remember back to the back of the draft, I mean, one of the reasons that it surprised me that the bills traded up not once, but twice, uh, in this draft, to get Josh Allen, one of the things that surprised me when that happened is that, look, Wyoming, what are they, in the whack? I, I think they're in the whack. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe, no, you know what they're in? They're in the Mountain West. I, Mountain I, West, yeah, there you go. That. Yeah. Yeah, but Josh Allen in his, you know, in his two years of starting, each year, each year completed 56% of his passes. Incredible, incredible. And so, you know, you sort of feel... At that point, you say, okay, well, you know, maybe they can, uh, you know, maybe they could just sort of uh, work with him and, and, and get him a little bit better in that regard. And maybe he's so good as an athlete and he's got such a great deep arm that it'll be worth it. And you'll deal with having maybe a 60% passer, but that's so counter to what today's football is actually like. And so to me, going from, when you think about it, uh, Joe, going from 56, 56, and then his first two years in the NFL, 53 and 59. Right. And then in his third year going to 69, that is the kind of jump that I, I don't, I'm not saying that it's absolutely unprecedented in NFL history, but You can probably count on about three fingers how many great quarterbacks improve that much between like their first four years of, you know, college slash pro football. And then the fifth year, it's, it's, it's striking. And so I, I mean, this, you got to hand it to Josh Allen. He knew that he had it in him to be a great player. And he didn't just sit back and do the, a little something this off season. He did a lot of something. So I give him credit there.
1: And it really is incredible. I mean, that's that was the knock, not not the knock that he was in. He was inaccurate in college, which of course he was. But that that is the single most important thing for an NFL quarterback to be is accurate, right? right? That is like yep. it's number one on the list. So no matter what other physical tools you might have. Uh, you know that is that is the biggest thing and 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 for him to have improved like that you know in, in in Kansas City when you look at the other side there's another story to me that feels very striking obviously we all know how great Patrick Mahomes is and and all those great weapons he has but you know the the story that i just go over and over again in my mind is Andy Reid uh, here is a guy who was obviously a great coach throughout his career but he was a great coach in the way that Marty Schottenheimer was a great coach and the way that uh, Chuck Knox was a great coach. You know, he was, he was Marv Levy, the guy that like was, was really a good coach, but couldn't quite win the big one and so on and so on and so on. And, and it felt like he was in that box and everybody liked him and respected him and admired him, but you know, and he, he might very well have gone to the Hall of Fame anyway, but it was, it was, he was very much in that box. And I can't think of another coach who, in the latter part of his career completely changed that completely flipped the script to the point where now i think you think of Andy Reed as truly one of the all-time great coaches
3: yeah and i think where that comes from um i'll tell you i think it i think a great example of Andy Reed and why he has been successful as a coach and maybe in the latter years of his career, why he has been most successful <clears throat> is the fact that, um, and I don't, I, I think you'll know exactly what I'm saying is that Andy Reid has big, shall we say, guts, mm-hmm. and and the reason that I bring that up is that you know Andy Reid got an incredibly good year out of Alex Smith in 2017. And then what did he do? He traded Alex yep. Smith after yep. arguably the best statistical year of Alex Smith's career. He traded Alex Smith and he went with a guy, Patrick Mahomes, who he traded up to draft right um, in, in 2017. So we went with him as a relatively, obviously, NFL neophyte to start 2018. So, and maybe you say, well, geez, how tough a decision was that? Well, Yes, but you don't know you don't on know. that January day in twenty eighteen, uh, when you agree to trade Patrick Mah- or to agree to trade Alex Smith that Patrick Mahomes is going to become what he has become. Right. And so that's as as far as personnel goes, he's not afraid. Now let's go to the play call on fourth and a foot. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the, in the closing seconds of the game on, uh, on Sunday. The reason why that is such an interesting play is that on Saturday night, uh, in their virtual meeting, Andy Reid, Chad Henney, Patrick Mahomes, Eric enemy Mike Kafka, they're all going over all of the plays in what they call their situational plays on the play sheet, okay, what do you like 4th and 10? What do you like 4th and 5? This is end-of-game situations. Right. What do you like 4th and 1? The play that they liked on 4th and 1 was basically a sprint-out pass by the quarterback, which you'd figure it's pretty easy for Mahomes, and just a lob to a, a theoretically open Tyree kill to get a yard in a crucial situation. Sure. All right so now Mahomes isn't there they all agree to make this play to, to call this play Mahomes isn't there so what happens they're on the sidelines they you know they' they they've got to make this instant decision and Reed said uh you, you know to, uh, uh, to to his coaches okay what do you guys want to do you want to just roll with our play Eric B enemy says absolutely Kafka says absolutely. And so they make the play call. Andy Reid calls this play, totally confounding the aforementioned Tony Romo, <laughs> and, which was really great TV. I thought it was it fantastic. It was so fun. Yeah. yeah, it was really good. Uh, but, but just think about it. Chad Henney, who started one game in the last six years, they're putting this on his shoulders. Now, if he throws the ball into the bleachers, you know, if he sort of tightens up or throws a gopher ball, you know, the old 57 foot fastball. Right. Okay, If he does that, then the Cleveland Browns have the ball at the Kansas city, 48 down five with a minute to go to yeah. win the game and go to the AFC championship game and cause a year of second guessing for Andy Reed. But you know right. what? Andy Reed just doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. And he says, we're going to do what we did. And if we fail, I'll take the heat. Don't worry about it. And they did it. It worked. And here they are in their third consecutive Arrowhead championship game.
1: Yeah. And, and I got to say, that's what I love about that story. I mean, you and I both uh, know Marty Schottenheimer really well. And there's no question, Marty was a great coach. But the the losses, the heartbreaks, they wore on him. And, and he, he would tighten up. I think, you know, I think he, he would admit that at the, at the end of his career, he would tighten up a little bit when it came to the big moments. And of course it, it, he was unlucky and, and there were things that that were way beyond his control. I'm not saying that he, that his tightening up was the, was, was the key factor, but, but it was there. And, and I think that's the natural human reaction and, and you look at a guy, I mean, obviously last year freed his spirits with the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, but you look at a guy in Andy Reid who had lots of, you know, heartbreaking moments, lots of close calls, and, and yet he did not tighten up. He did not shrink uh, to, to the challenge. And I just think that says something about who he
3: is. He's just a different kind of guy. Yeah, and good for him. And yeah. uh, he's such, Joe, my, I tell people this story and, and it causes them to either chortle or laugh uproariously. But last year, I'm not going to be able to do it this year, obviously. But last year, um, each year for the, until this year for the last four years, I have driven to work one morning in the off week before the Super Bowl with uh, one of the coaches in the game. Mm-hmm. And last year, I covered the Chiefs in the championship game. And then I asked Andy if he would uh, consider either Monday or Tuesday, preferably Tuesday, um, to allow me to ride to work with him, turn the tape recorder on, and just talk to him for a few minutes. So he said, yeah, we'll do it. And uh, so we we set it for Tuesday morning. And uh, I said to him, okay, what, what time? What what time do you want me to be ready? He goes, I'll pick you up at your hotel at three fifteen, <laughs> and uh, that's not the funny part of the story. The funny part of the story is that I got downstairs from my hotel at three oh eight, and Andy Reid was sitting in the in the driveway, <laughs> his uh, his truck idling. I said, "When'd you get here?" He said, oh, a few minutes ago." And wow. uh, so, I mean, you know, look, he's the type of guy who gets up in the middle of the night and said, "I know I'm not going to be able to get back to sleep." Let's just start work now, and he always figures that I got two hours with the phone not ringing and nobody walking in my office. These are the best two hours of the day, and that's how Andy Reid works. Amazing,
1: just amazing. That's going to be such a great game. All right, very quickly on the on the the other the JV uh, game between two Hall of Fame quarterbacks uh, in Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. What do you think? I mean, do you think Tampa Bay? I mean that that team has been, you know, they've been they've been good. That they feel like they're flawed. They feel like like they they fall behind, and and you know Brady is is still terrific, but he's not the old Tom Brady. I mean, what do you think about this game? Do you do you do you see it as fairly even, or or is Green Bay pretty heavily favored in your
3: mind? I think it's pretty even, Joe. I, I look, I mean. I just don't think a Tom Brady team is going to get is going to get wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah, and I also don't think that an Aaron Rodgers team is going to ever let what happened in Tampa in Week Six right. happen to them again. You know, thirty-eight to ten. Amazing. What an incredibly crazy game. The game started like Green Bay was going to win thirty-eight to ten. They start off with a ten nothing lead early. Rodgers gets pick six and then the avalanche is on, you know, Tampa Bay has what I call a momentum defense. And, and in my opinion, you can be sure that, uh, the bucks are, are going to be going to have trouble making those kind of plays consistently, uh, against Rodgers again, because Rogers is the type of guy who goes to school significantly and seriously on his weaknesses. And, uh, I like I like Green Bay, but nothing in this game would surprise me because we're talking about two of the best ten quarterbacks to ever play. Yeah, maybe two of the best five. I mean, it's
1: it's yeah. it's it's really tough. But of course, you know, I've, I'm already of the opinion that you know you're not putting him on that list yet. But I don't know that anybody's played quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, I think we're already getting to that point where he's. You know, of course, he's breaking yeah, all he's the records. Just,
3: you know what, Joe? He's just got to do it for a while. Of course. It's like, of course. It's like everybody – somebody said to me this week, well, you know, Josh Allen's a top five quarterback too. I said, well, let's, let's just hold on for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Okay? <laughs> Josh Allen has had one transcendent great regular season. Right. That's what he's had. You know, now – you know what true greatness is? True greatness is being down by 10 with eight minutes to go in the Super Bowl. Right. And having pl- – Played a crappy game, like Patrick Mahomes had. I tell people this all the time that you know, uh, during that Super Bowl game last year, uh, in the middle of the third and fourth quarter, I'm starting to do my awards because I think that San Francisco is going to win. Sure. And I actually wrote in the award "Go to the Week" Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And said he didn't rise to the occasion when he needed to. He's still great. This is not going to be one of his finest hours. And 45 minutes later, I'm saying (laughs) never admit that to anyone that you said that Mahomes was going to be the go to the game. (laughs) But we just need to see uh, a few more big moments. Of course. From Josh Allen. I think he's going to do it. We just haven't seen him do it yet. Absolutely. Absolutely.
4: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty-corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.
0: This episode is brought to you by BetMGM. Sign up today with BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic, and get a $1,000 risk-free first bet. Plus, get a free three-month subscription to The Athletic. Just sign up at betmgm.com slash theathleticpod, that's P-O-D, to take advantage of this special offer from the kings of sportsbooks. That's betmgm.com slash theathleticpod, P-O-D. New customer offer, paid in bonus dollars. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Cue the disclaimer.
2: Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada.
1: All right, I want to talk to you a little bit about the coaching thing. First of all, uh, wow, the Browns really landed uh an amazing coach in Kevin Stefanski. I don't know how yeah. you felt when when that hire was made. Uh, you know, I had doubts. I had doubts. Not nothing against Kevin Stefanski, but but, you know, he was assistant coach for that Minnesota team that hardly seemed particularly uh electric or 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 even all that interesting. I mean, he certainly was a is a smart guy knew how to work with quarterbacks and all that but boy he did
3: an amazing job didn't he the amazing thing is what i remember about stefanski is that he's just uh he's i've always looked at him as a very very smart cog in the wheel he's not he's has no braggadocio Nope. uh he's a very good person a nice guy really really smart guy But, you know, look, uh, there's a lot of really good people, smart people who get hired to be head coaches. What is the difference? I think the big difference with uh, Kevin Stefanski, very simply, is that he treated every week like it was the most important week. And he got that ethos into his team. And, you know, he never brags. He never brags. But he did say one sentence to me in his car on the way home after clinching a playoff spot in week 17 uh, by beating the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, 36 hours before he finds out that he's tested positive for COVID. Right. Um, But he said one thing to me that really stuck with me. He goes, Peter, we haven't lost two games in a row all year. Uh And his whole point was very simply that we don't stay down. I will not allow this team to stay down, and I think that is one of the great things he's done. That plus the fact that I'm not saying he saved Baker Mayfield, but he really helped Baker Mayfield be better.
1: Boy, I'm not sure he didn't save Baker Mayfield, honestly. I, I you know, you know, it could be because you look at, at not just how Baker Mayfield played last year, but you know, everybody was talking about a third offensive coordinator in two years or whatever the case may be. But it was true; he seemed scrambled. And, and the thing that was so fun about being a Browns fan, I think with Baker Mayfield was he started the year kind of shaky and, and Stefanski and, and that, and that offensive staff handled it so well. They just took responsibility off of him until his confidence started to come back. Everything started to feel like it was flowing and then they let him go and and he was terrific second half of the of the season i mean really really good and so you know i just thought a terrific job and and what i think was so interesting to me again is i didn't think i thought stefanski was going to bring stability to the team which he did but he brought extra stuff and i don't think you know that so when i look around the league. Now you mentioned Eric B uh, who I don't know if he's going to get a, a job. Uh, it seemed certain that he would when, when this thing started. Um, but, but when you look at that, I, boy, it's a hard thing to find, to find that coach that is just right for your team.
3: Agreed. I, I would, I would make this point, Joe, about about the Cleveland situation. Yeah. Okay. Smart people. And I think, I think John Dorsey is a smart person. Sure. Okay. They have had smart people drafting there for some time. They haven't necessarily had, had the smartest coaches, let's just say. Right. But I think they've had smart people drafting and compiling talent. Andrew Barry will admit to you that, Essentially, he is the beneficiary of some really good drafting to some degree, not altogether, um, because I think he and Stefanski have been a great, great team together. But yeah. the other part of this is that Kevin Stefanski will play everybody. Yes. He's not afraid of playing rookies. He's not afraid of playing uh, guys who, uh, who have a lot to prove. You know, this Taki Taki linebacker this year – Is a great, great example of that. Who basically came out of nowhere to be a really important player on that defense. Stefanski believes if you're on my team, I'm using you. Yeah, and uh, you know, and a lot of the players that they've gotten, especially obviously in recent years, a lot of the players they've gotten were ready for prime time. And you know, Joe, honestly, I'm not, I'm not saying, boy, John Dorsey, you're unbelievable. Shouldn't you be unbelievable if you got the first pick in the draft? Right. I mean,
4: right. You know, I,
3: I, so sometimes you're going to blow the first pick in the draft. But with all the information available to you today, shouldn't Baker Mayfield have been, despite what people said, and that he was this, he was that, he was short, whatever, whatever. You know, the bottom line is you got so much information at your disposal. Yeah. If you blow the first pick in the draft, that's on you.
1: Yeah. Yeah yeah well, look, they had the back to back first picks, and miles Garrett and and Baker Mayfield are the anchors of this team. No question. Of course, for years earlier, as you all know, they would have top five picks all the time and blow them. I mean, really blow them. So they it, it's 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 fun to see the way they've come together. When you look at the coaching uh, hires now, or at least the teams that some of the teams still haven't made the hires, You know, again, I think this is fascinating every year. Everybody goes in, as you say, lots of information. They do their interviews. They do everything that they need to do. And yet, you know, they miss all the time. I mean, how difficult is it, you think, uh, with so many good candidates out there uh, to to actually hire a coach that that could do the job?
3: Listen, you know, we should talked for a few sentences anyway about the enemy, but I do think that, you know, we've seen this week uh, some really different kind of, of coaches being introduced. Yeah. Arthur Smith is hired by the Atlanta Falcons, and he is one of the most thoughtful people. You'll get a kick out of this, Joe. In the middle of the season, are you familiar with the Don Winslow book, broken yes okay Don Winslow wrote to me it's the best compendium of short stories that I've read in my life Mm -hmm. it's six stories sort of almost crime drama slash thrillers slash human drama um you know uh sickos in society to some (laughs) degree but just really magnetizing writing uh I think Don Winslow is unbelievably good oh yeah and and so in the middle of this season you know before he'd go to bed at night uh you know uh Arthur Smith then the Tennessee offensive coordinator offensive coordinator would read these stories before he before going to bed because he didn't you know sort of soothe his mind watching the greatest the great british baking show on netflix right, right what he did is he read he reads to soothe his mind wow i think that is the coolest thing yes. you know i i you know he's so he's so different and and then you have dan campbell in detroit we're going to be chewing off their kneecaps right and right. and some of the funniest stuff which i mean if chris spielman could hire Chris Spielman. <laughs> Wouldn't Dan Campbell be Chris Spielman? And so yeah, Oh yeah, Spielman, absolutely. Spielman obviously now is the guy who is the, who is the, the guy who, who, you know, was involved in his hiring. But I mean, to each his own, I don't know what's going to work. You don't know what's going to work. But as Bill Parcell said to me a few years ago, sometimes I think it's really a big mistake when teams hire these brilliant offensive play callers. Huh. When you coach a team, you got to stand in front of the team and be the coach of the entire team, yes. not just the great offensive play designer and caller.
1: I think that's right. I, I've, you know, I was a big thought that I always had was, you know, obviously when you are a great offensive mind and you become a head coach, you want to call the plays and, and, you know, and that's part of the reason probably that you get hired, but it does separate you, I think, from the rest of the team, at least a little bit. I mean, I thought even Kevin Stefanski, especially in the early part of the year, and I think he developed, I, I thought he grew as a coach. I just, I was so impressed. But in the early part of the year, you would hear him talk about every game through an offensive perspective. He just, you know, the, yes. the defense just wasn't his thing. And I think he came to realize, hey, I'm, I'm the head coach of this whole team. And, and... And it's just, it's just, I think a, a, a bigger, it's a bigger, you know, play when you, when you become a head coach, obviously, uh, urban Meyer, that's what, what, what,
3: what do you make of that? The urban Meyer hire is Joe. It's, it's, I don't hate it, but it, it has its risks because, big risks. because honestly, urban Meyer, who's now 57 years old has quit high-profile college football jobs at 45, right. 46, and 54. And you're asking him to come in f- to a team that has lost 75% of its games over the last three years. They got the worst record in football yep. over the last three years. And you're asking Urban Meyer to come in and do what most likely is a long-term construction job. And what gives you the feeling that he's going to last? Yeah, I mean, Nick Saban. Uh, was given a long-term construction job in Miami. After his first two years, going 15 and 17, he begged, not, not begged, but he asked Wayne Hyzenga could I please be let out so I can go coach Alabama? <laughs> right? hyzenga let him out. So I'm not saying that that's going to happen here, Joe. All I'm saying is that I'm concerned about how long uh, Urban Meyer is going to coach that team.
1: Look, he's a brilliant football mind, nobody would question that. I I think coaching the NFL is different. Uh a lot different and and yeah, I think that's a long-term job and and I think there's going to be a lot of pain along the way and and uh you know, it's these these things take a huge toll on Urban Meyer, which is why he's walked away a couple of times and yeah. Really questionable to me. I, I just, I, I don't like that hire. I mean, I hope it works out yeah. for them. I like urban Meyer, but I, I don't like that hire at all. All right. one what, what, as we as we wrap this up, I do want you to talk a little bit about Eric Bianami because he is obviously the most high profile guy out there that does not seem likely. I mean, he might still, but doesn't seem likely to get a job. What, what do you think is going on there?
3: Um. You know, I wish I knew because people who don't hire Eric Bieniemy when you ask them about Bieniemy they said, "Well, you know, we just we like this other guy better. He's a very qualified candidate blah blah blah." But, you know, when you look at the recent history of the offensive coordinators in Kansas City, Doug Peterson was a non-play calling offensive coordinator yeah. and he got a very high profile job coaching the Eagles. Matt Nagy was mostly a non-play-calling offensive coordinator uh, for two years, and he got a very high-profile job coached in the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Now, Eric Bieniemy for three seasons, has been the offensive coordinator um, while developing and nurturing Patrick Mahomes, yeah. and he's been this offensive coordinator, a non-play-caller just like the other two, for three years, and in each of the three seasons, <clears throat> the Kansas City Chiefs have gotten the uh, the AFC by and played played well enough to get the AFC championship game at home. Yeah. Um, when you talk to people who know and have been around B. Enemy, they will tell you that he's one of the great leaders. He's one of the great rally around the flag guys. Guys that anybody. Uh, has has seen in the NFL, and my feeling is that this is a pox on the NFL's house. Yeah, I agree. And it is—it's a disgrace. It's an absolute, total disgrace to me. The Houston Texans have one choice if they want to make peace with Deshaun Watson, and that is hiring Eric Bieniemy to be their head coach. Yeah. And if they don't, you know, look, a lot of times the best coaches are the last ones hired best coaches in a crop the year that uh Bruce Arians was hired by the Arizona Cardinals
4: mm-hmm. he
3: was the last of eight coaches hired that year and he had the most success of any coach hired that year two years ago to more than two years ago now almost three years ago Frank Reich was the last coach hired in that uh, hiring process he if not the one of the best hires in that absolutely don't get it for sprinting to the finish line of your coaching zero zero credit the houston texans ought to thank their lucky stars that none of these co- owners have hired eric b enemy and they ought to take a deep breath and hire eric b enemy and save their relationship with a top five quarterback in football deshaun watson
1: totally totally agree just a, totally agree i i'm it stupefies me but Hopefully they'll do the right thing. Peter, you are the greatest. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, really appreciate it,
3: Joe. Thanks a lot for having me.
4: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty-corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop Drew Holiday, having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.